ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. In the past year or so in particular, influences on TikTok, YouTube, X and Snapchat have been making misogynistic and dangerous and often really untrue content that's going straight into the ears of boys and young men. For example, that feminists want to kill men and have been killing men. But it's a whole range of ideas, really. The federal government's announced $3.5 million to help address this, to promote healthy masculinity and to prevent violence against women. $3.5 million doesn't go very far these days. What would be the best way to spend it? Professor Stephen Roberts is a sociologist of masculinities at the Monash Faculty of Education. Professor Roberts, great to have you on the program. Good morning. Thanks for having me back. Pleasure. And Zach Seidler is the Global Director of Men's Health Research at Movember. And Zach, a regular visitor on Life Matters. Great to speak with you again. Morning, Hilary. Great to be here. Now, Zach, uh, first up, as a specialist in this field, were you surprised at this announcement? No. uh, It's been a long time coming, actually, Hilary. You know, we've spoken about this topic a number of times over the years, and it's great to see that the government is now getting on board with what is a questioning of the the status quo in many ways, which is that we spent far too long focusing on on crisis prevention alone uh, and and trying to get to the pointy end of what is uh, trying to prevent violence, uh, you know, from perpetuating over time. But rather, what we need to do is get early. We need to be preventative. We need to be intervening at the very beginning with these young men to make them aware of what these issues are, how they look and how to understand themselves in a way so that this behaviour doesn't, you know, take over their lives and, uh, you know, eventually end up harming women in in really dire ways. Steve Roberts, what are your thoughts on on this uh, project trial around healthy masculinities? I would echo Zach exactly. I think it's a really important part, uh, thing to have on the national agenda. So looking to what the federal government have said is a great start. As you mentioned yourself, it's not a huge amount of money. It won't go far, but it's really important to recognise also that these types of programs have been around for a fair while now, you know, at community level. They're they're positive, they're useful, they're helpful, but we I think we need more detail. And um, that, that's probably where I'd start. We we didn't get a lot of information in the in the release. And in a way it surprised me that it was relatively sparse. So I think we need to know more about what it's going to involve, but I would agree completely. It's super important. Well, and that's why we've decided on Life Matters to give this a bit of time today to make sure we can explore some of the the key issues. Steve, in a moment or in a short while, we'll look at some of the research that you've been doing in schools. We'll look at the link between influences of various kinds on social media and these attitudes that are circulating. But first up, Zach Seidler, the term toxic masculinity gets used a lot in media reporting around these issues. You don't like that term. Why not? I don't think it's me alone, Hillary, but I, 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 I don't. I think that it's a, a term that really shames and distances uh, many young men that we are seeking to engage in this dialogue. Uh, what we're seeing on social media play out is that these influences come out and they say, as you said, feminists are out to get us. Uh, we are the disempowered, disenfranchised, lost generation of boys in many ways, and we need to take back domination and power. And what the term toxic masculinity does is it is it reinvigorates that narrative that they are in some way broken and this othered part of, of humanity rather than uh, 
reinforcing rather that there are multiple ways of being, that there are multiple masculinities that exist out there. And, and Steve, uh, you know, has done incredible work showing how class and status and race and ethnicity and, and religion all intertwine in the way that men and boys show their masculinities. So we need to get to the point where we can see that there are plenty of really unhealthy ways of being for, for men and boys out there. But also there are so many things that we can leverage. You know, I work at Movember and altruism is the key to our 20 years of existence thus far. We get millions of guys to look after one another. We cannot throw out the baby with the bathwater here. And when young men see toxic masculinity as a headline on any article about healthy masculinity, we're here to eradicate toxic masculinity. How do you think they feel? They're not going to really engage with this content. They're not going to rock up to a a program that talks about toxic masculinity and go, oh yeah, of course, this sounds like something I want to be a part of. We need to find a way to, to empower them, to find their strengths and to leverage them to our advantage. We're speaking with Zach Seidler, who's the Global Director of Men's Health Research at Movember, and Professor Stephen Roberts, who's a sociologist of masculinities at the Monash Faculty of Education. And I guess that masculinities is an acknowledgement that there are lots of different ways of being a man. Zach, just quickly, what's a better way to talk about it? So we, I talk about healthy masculinities, and that is, you know, obviously talking about the plural, and it's also reinforcing uh, what is going to lead you towards greater well-being for you and those around you amongst young men. But something that's that's really important is that inherent in that term, healthy masculinities, for me, is flexibility. It's the idea that there are certain traits like stoicism and self-reliance that, in any given circumstance, can be either harmful or helpful. And so what we need to understand is that rigidity is the most dangerous element of masculinity here. If you are using something regardless of context uh, as a as a rule of, of living, that's when we're going to find harm for, for many young men. So I don't use positive uh, masculinity, for instance, because that implies, you know, the opposite. It's implying this constant binary that we're trying to move away from. Rather, there's multiple ways of being and there are times and places where certain parts of masculinity are going to be helpful to you and you should be leaning into those and knowing within yourself through insight and self-regulation and conversation about masculinity, which is not happening at the pub, it's not happening in the schoolyard, it is a no-go zone for many young men and we need to bring this into the, the you know, front of mind for these guys. We mentioned the the awful statistics about violence against women and they just come up over and over again because they are so appalling. Zach, is there a direct line between unhealthy messages about masculinity and about women and violence against women? Oh, there, there's no doubt about it. We, we've seen research for, for generations now, for decades on, on end, and I hope uh, that the government is starting to to understand that there is now a serious opportunity that we have to find out what these links are and to uh, intervene. We're not here to eradicate. We're not here to to pull these things out and somehow, you know, create a new form of manhood. That's not going to happen. What instead we should be seeking is to is to mould, is to educate, and is to intervene in a way that is going to help these young men see that these certain behaviours uh, that seem like there is uh, domination, there is power, there is entitlement, there is privilege, that they're taking back something uh, that was, you know, pulled away from them by the feminist, you know, cabal somewhere. Uh, what we are indeed trying to show is that that entitlement, that desire to, to pull something back is actually 
undermining their own well-being. And that's what we're doing at Movember at the moment. We're trying to show that the more of this content that they watch, the worse uh, their you know, attitudes and beliefs about women and, you know, LGBTQIA plus uh, individuals. And what that means over time is that it slowly eats away at them and it makes them angry and, uh, you know, disillusioned. And as a result, you know, I think that there is, uh, you know, a slight link potentially between the mental health crisis that we're seeing, the suicide crisis that we're seeing amongst men and this type of behaviour of othering themselves, of feeling like they're not part of you know a community of, of belonging to, to something that is not in the darkness of the the troll deep web but rather something that is you know out in the open and something that they can discuss and challenge one another on and and rather than seeing these behaviors as inherently linked with violence we want to find a way to pull them apart uh, amongst young guys and show them in the light of day, what it's doing to them. Mm. Well, in the spirit of bringing things out from the darkness and being able to discuss them, uh, buckle up. Professor Stephen Roberts, tell us a little bit about Andrew Tate. For those of us who aren't familiar with him, what kind of messages is he disseminating and why are they so appealing to young boys and men in Australia? So I'm, I'm sure many people do know who Andrew Tate is, and I'm sure there'll be some who don't. He's this incredibly influential, what we might call manfluencer, social media personality who has incredible reach with boys and young men, especially. Um, to all intents and purposes, he kind of he's selling a product of what it what it could be, what the, a future, an aspirational future of of being a man that's geared around a particular set of. Um, traits and norms and an adherence to these kinds of things, similar to the things that Zach has already been talking about, stoicism, control, dominance, but wrapped around a product, I think, that he tries to sell to boys and young men about how you achieve success um, as a man, how you achieve power as a man, and how that can be used um, uh, over women, essentially, as well. So he's, he's deeply misogynistic as well. But interestingly, um, the way that misogyny kind of factors into his sales pitch is a is a relatively small part it's an important and disgusting part but it's a kind of bound up with this idea of uh boys you are you are behind and as zach says it's feminisms that, that's caused this you are the new disadvantaged and there's a way to reclaim that power um and that's that's what he kind of sells and then the messaging that that goes with that um informs we think really problematic practices. So we want to be careful about saying that, you know, boys see a video on social media, it doesn't matter if it's been shared millions of times or not, but we want to be careful about saying boys see and boys do. But what we do know now is that actually it is incredibly influential and that messaging is coming across into the classrooms in Australia. So there are boys um, in, in classrooms where women teachers are, are telling us that these tropes and ideas that Tate kind of um, propagates are very present and they're resulting in really disgusting behaviour, actually. We'll get to that in a moment, but I want to read some of the texts that have been coming in. What about the aggressive hyper-masculinity on TV programs such as SAS or Married at First Sight being watched by primary school boys? The representation of what being a man is and looks like is an ugly representation being fed to young pre-adolescent people. That's the view of one text. That number is 0418 Another taking issue with the, uh, the your, your criticisms of the term toxic 
masculinity, both of you. As a psychologist, I call a spade a spade, not a manual excavation device. Toxic masculinity is toxic. It needs to be called out and in schools where the learning can't be evaded. That's from Peter in Captain's Flat. And we heard earlier that uh, it, it may put some kids off, you know, come to a session on toxic masculinity. No, that's not me. So there's a few different views there. Uh, Steve, do boys and young men still listen to Andrew Tate? He was arrested uh, on charges of human trafficking and other crimes yet to be tested. Is he still got currency? I, I believe he absolutely has currency. So he's yeah he's currently under investigation while well, he's been charged with these offences, and we we await the trial. But um, a lot of the the kind of pushback and response from boys and young men who are his followers, and there are many, many millions, you know, let's let's be very clear about that, um, is to frame the accusations as part of what they call the matrix, right? So it's, we've heard this in other um, conversations recently around Russell Brand and so on, where where interest groups are uh, setting up a full guy for, um, for, for a particular reason and for, for getting in the way of um, boys and men's like rightful place back at the table of having some power so what what we see is rather than uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there would be some kind of rejection of tate and tate's ideas but for the hardcore group what we see is a doubling down and um, a real kind of commitment to this is the media the um the ruling class getting in the way and and trying to pull down the leader of this kind of what is perceived as a truth-telling Yep, that perception is really, really interesting. Professor Stephen Roberts is our guest, a sociologist of masculinities at the Monash Faculty of Education, and Zach Seidler, who's the Global Director of Men's Health Research at Movember. Steve, let's talk a bit about this research you did in classrooms because it focused on Andrew Tate, though there are many other influences operating in similar spaces. How did you go, you and your colleagues at Monash University go about studying the impact he's having in schools? Yeah, so just I just hop back one moment. I think it's a really important point that we're kind of getting at underneath it. It's not just Tate. It's not just actually the social media influences. There's a, a range of influences, including TV, um, uh, including other messaging that creates this kind of normative or supports this normative idea of what it is to be a man or an idealized way of being a man. So our, our starting point was actually um, thinking about the way that we saw research coming out of the UK and, and headlines, actually, a lot of journalistic headlines around concerns that teachers had about Tate's influence in classrooms. So what we did, um, Steph Westcott and I at, at Monash, we talked to uh, as many women teachers as we can across the country. We invited women teachers from any schools and we had representation from the independent sector and the state sector, from Catholic schools, from, you know, you name it. We had good representation um, in primary schools and secondary schools. And so we we started with what is your experience? Tell, tell us about whether or not what we're seeing in headlines and in, in, in news articles is Tate infiltrating the classroom and what is the impact of this upon boys' behavior from your point of view? So really starting with the frontline experiences of women who um, who see it firsthand. And what did you see? What kinds of behaviors? So it's, uh, you know, it's disgusting in short, and I, I can keep it pretty brief and hopefully pretty um, not too disgusting. But well, that would be good includes... just because I want to make sure we've got yeah, time to yeah. talk about this new trial and how it might work. But yes, we do need sure. to hear about this, I think, don't we? The, detail, the details include things like um, sexualized language, sexualized noises, um, you, you in, encouraging teachers into a conversation uh, that about Tate and about Tate's virtues and like trying to draw in a teacher into a conversation that they don't want to be in, but much worse than that. So including um, spitting in a water bottle, um, talking about um, a, a teacher's body in, in very sexualized ways. And that this is not just happening to the women teachers themselves who find their 
um, the classroom in increasingly unsafe, but for girl pupils as well. So girl students increasingly finding themselves pushed out of classrooms, not being able to take the classes they want to because both teachers and girl students in the classroom and in the playgrounds and sports fields are alienated, isolated and harassed. That's interesting, isn't it? Because if, if it's affecting girls in the classes, presumably it's affecting relationships between girls and boys too, Steve. Does that tie into what Zach Seidler was talking about before, about that will have an impact on these boys' well-being more broadly? Yeah, absolutely. I do think the two things are connected. Absolutely. I agree with what with what Zach was saying. And um, I have slight concerns around if we focus too much on um, boys' relationships, but there is something about, well, something very crucial about the way that homosocial relationships link to and, pr- and reproduce these kind of negative um, gendered ideas that, that, le- that isolate women and, and leave women and girls harassed. Let's have a look at this program that's been suggested by the Minister for Family and Social Services, Amanda Rishworth. She says it will be a three-year trial of certain programs based, uh, I'm wondering, based on what we know works to make a difference, how and where should this program about promoting healthy masculinities be delivered, Steve? So I'm... I'm really happy to see that she mentions here a a variety of community spaces and that it's online and in person as well. I think that's super important. I think um, a a multiple all of community approach is really essential to steer the conversation in a particular way. Um, I'm concerned that it might just be a one-off kind of intervention with a sports club or a social media video and so on. So I think we can, yeah, sports clubs, really important place to start. Schools, um, where, where, wherever families, you know, we really need to take a multifaceted approach to getting this right. But have we used the evidence to date on making sure that it's not just about this one-off kind of intervention? And is it going to be a series of interventions? Because that's the, the evidence tells us that's what works. So working with boys and young men for for a one-off session is good. It makes them feel good. They can share. They can um, lean into an emotionality. But real success in terms of changed attitudes and ultimately changed behaviours that you know in the longer term are going to save women's lives. Actually, this requires weeks of intervention, many hours of curriculum, many hours of engagement across a whole range of settings. And Steve, a couple of quick questions about the people delivering it. Does it matter if it's women or men? So I think there's an intuition here that it should be men, and I I think we should be sceptical of that. So men absolutely have to be part of the conversation. But what I'm wary of, and again, the international evidence kind of tells us this, is that a reliance only on men as um, facilitators of these conversations, as you know, the... the, the, the talk is always of male role models being really crucial. And I think they have a crucial part to play, but the evidence tells us that it's um, the best approaches are those that expose boys and young men to people of all genders and from a mixed set of messaging so they can have more than one role model effectively. We need to know that boys and young men are exposed to a wide variety of experiences and that's how they will develop the compassion and understanding that goes alongside those other things that Zach was talking about in terms of, you know, we're not talking about eradicating what we know as masculinity, but getting that balance right between knowing when it's right to be steadfast and courageous, but also um, mirroring that with the right time to be compassionate and empathetic. And I presume also, Steve, that it matters that the people delivering these programs aren't all uh, white and straight. Absolutely. And that, that's the point. Again, a, a diversity is really crucial here. So we know that, as again, as Zach was saying at the beginning, masculinity and masculinities, because it's plural, informed by a wide range of subject positions around class and gender and uh, and race and so on. So all of that needs to be in the mix. That broad exposure is really, really important. Zach Seidler, do facilitators also need to have a pretty good skill set and a bit of a tolerance for letting boys speak their mind if they're going to engage with these attitudes? 
Oh, 100%. This is, this is my bugbear, which is that uh, if we're inviting a conversation uh, around what masculinity looks like, we cannot shut down uh, the types of uh, discussions that young men want to be having, which is that they recede, as I said, into the, you know, the dark web in many ways because uh, it's not allowed uh, for them to, to, to stress test some of their ideas in uh, you know, schools and sporting clubs, etc. We need to find ways to make sure that safety is front and centre here. We need to make sure that facilitators feel upskilled and able to engage in these conversations because young men are at that age, especially being transgressive for a reason. They are flexing uh, to try to understand the bounds of what they're allowed and not allowed to do. But what I want to stress is that when it comes to the likes of, of Andrew Tate and others, when, when these boys are going on social media, what we've found is that the majority of them do not go in with misogynistic ideals. They do not go in, uh, you know, with this idea that they're going to go and find all of this, you know, toxic masculinity content. Rather, they are going um, with, you know, looking for Bugattis and Lamborghinis and what, <laughs> you know, what kind of cool content is out there. And they come out with misogynistic ideas. So there is real uh, opportunism here, I think, for us to see uh, the fact that these young men have capacity uh, for different attitudes. They have capacity for growth and we should be seeking to leverage that to our advantage. Well, that's up my final question, Zach. If, if parents are starting to have to engage with some of these uh, difficult and, and repellent ideas, where can they point their kids or, or where can they go for resources to help with that? Yeah, so this, this is uh, really important uh, that, that firstly, parents are speaking with, with one another. I think that it's important that we have these conversations out in the open. Um, there's also a lot of uh, content on government website around, um, you know, online safety, which I think is, is a really important topic. But this really needs uh, to be dealt with in ways that are specific to the to the types of content that we're talking about here and in ways that we can talk with our young men, you know, the likes of Man Cave and Tomorrow Man and Top Blokes, these organisations that go into schools have really good resources about how to discuss these types of topics. But what we need moving forward now is to create a structural and systemic shift in the way that we're addressing these issues rather than, as Steve said, going in, doing these drops in the ocean Three and a half million dollars, as you said, is not going to get us very far. And it should not be a two hour, let's go into class and, you know, talk about this thing and then leave and hope that everything is better. This has to be a multi-pronged approach that takes a number of years and hundreds of millions of dollars, to be honest with you, if we are going to counteract the billion dollar, multi-billion dollar industry that is, you know, the manosphere. And, you know, Andrew Tate is, is just one of many. Mm. And what's really important is that he is... Um, you know, he was just this disenfranchised, nerdy guy who wanted, you know, to take back some form of power and he's been able to do that. And rather, we should be seeking to amplify others' voices and show how, you know, masculinity comes in so many shapes and sizes. It's been a fascinating chat. I'm really glad we can leave people with some options to, to look for resourcing and information. The Man Cave, Tomorrow Man and Top Blokes, just some of the organisations that Zach mentioned already working with boys and young men to help them grow into their healthiest, best selves and explore these ideas in a safe way. Zach Seidler, Professor Stephen Roberts, thank you both so much for your time today. 
Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you. Zach Seidler is the Global Director of Men's Health Research at Movember, which starts today. And Professor Stephen Roberts is a sociologist. Sorry, it starts tomorrow. It starts tomorrow on the 1st of November. Duh. And Professor Stephen Roberts is a sociologist of masculinities at the Monash Faculty of Education. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.